welcome to this special holiday edition of the Scovey Podcast. We have a slightly different podcast for you this month. I'm Carolyn Scott and regular listeners will note that I'm not joined by Scovey's Maggie Chapman this month. Fear not though, we will hear from Maggie later in the show all the way from Zimbabwe. Also coming up on this special edition of the Scovey Podcast, we take a look back at 2018 and we'll of course have some news from Scovey, our members and from across the vision impairment community. So do stay tuned for all of that and more. First up, we have a save the date for you all. Scovey is working alongside Deaf Scotland and Disability Equality Scotland to bring you the Scottish Sensory and Equality Conference and Awards. This will take place on the 15th of March at the Doubletree by Hilton in Glasgow Central. And the conference will run from 10am till 4.30pm and the awards and dinner from 5pm till 9pm. All of the workshops and keynote speeches will be focused around the theme of communication for all. We'll be releasing the full programme in early January when tickets will also go on sale. Do keep an eye on our website and social media platforms. We will also be announcing the award categories and accepting nominations for the awards in early January. More info on all of that in January's newsletter. The dates of the 2019 Scovey Members Forums are now available on the Scovey website. We do, however, need your input and would like to know what topics or themes you'd like to be discussing in 2019. In 2018, we covered themes such as employment, education, habilitation and rehabilitation. And if you would like to send us a suggestion for 2019, please do get in touch via carolyn.scott at scovey.org.uk. Now, as I mentioned, Maggie is not with me today. Given that it is the holiday season, we happen to not be in the same country at the moment, as Maggie has travelled to Zimbabwe for Christmas and New Year. She has, however, sent us through a short message all the way from Harare. Hello from a hot and sunny Zimbabwe. My contribution this month comes from Harare, where I was born and brought up, and my mum still lives. The sky is blue, there are a few white puffy clouds about, and it's about 27 degrees outside. I'm melting. But enough of that. 2018 has been an exciting year for us, the first full year we have both worked together at SCOVI. We have rebranded and are modernising the organisation. We have a new look, an updated strategy and a much more coherent communications approach. This has been the first year that we've had monthly podcasts to go with our newsletters, thanks to Carolyn. Many of the year's key events and developments have been covered in the last 11 podcasts, which of course you can always listen to again from the SCOVI SoundCloud channel, or whatever it's called. But I think it's worth highlighting a couple of things from the last year's work. Our members are the lifeblood of SCOVI, and I'm really pleased that we have extended membership to include individuals, as well as public and private sector organisations and groups. At our quarterly members' forums, members have discussed key issues including habilitation and and rehabilitation, education and the attainment gap, and employability. And I'm really looking forward to our campaign on employability and access to work in the coming year. April saw the introduction of the new registration process for adults with vision impairments, the Certification of Visual Impairment, or CVI, process. SCOVI had been involved for months with sensory impairment specialists from around the country to ensure the new process is fit for purpose, and I look forward to the review process that will take place in the coming months to make further improvements to this. There is still some way to go to ensure that people with vision impairments are getting the support they need. 
It is clear that the kind of changes we want to see across Scotland to ensure people with vision impairments live independent and included lives requires us to work not only with our members and with the Scottish Government, but with other organisations too. I have really enjoyed developing stronger links with some of our key partners, Deaf Scotland, formerly SCOD, the Scottish Council on Deafness, Visionary and the Visual Impairment Network for Children and Young People, or VINSIP. And I look forward to working more closely with the Rehabilitation Workers Professional Network, or RWPN, and our sister organisation in Wales, the Wales Council for the Blind, over the next year. In addition to our employability campaign, I know that we will be doing lots more to raise awareness of the kinds of issues faced by people with vision impairments in Scotland. We hope to launch Footnote, a multi-sensory magazine, when we can secure funding for it. We want to continue to work on member engagement and development, and of course, crucially, ensure that there is a clear Scottish strategy for vision and sight loss that brings public, private and third sectors together, with people with vision impairment at its heart. So 2019 will be a busy year. But for now, a few more days off, relaxing in the sunshine for me. Back to you in midwinter in Scotland. See you all next year. Cheerio. Thank you for that, Maggie. Though, as I'm sitting in a cold and windy Scotland, you've just made me exceptionally jealous and I have no sympathy for your melting. I'll be looking up flights to the sun later today, I think. And just before we say farewell to 2018, here's a quick roundup of the highlights from the Scovey podcast over the last 12 months. In January, we kicked things off. Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the Scovey podcast. We'll be bringing you all the latest news from Scovey, our members and from around the vision sector. I'm Carolyn Scott. And I'm Maggie Chapman. In February, we held a special in-conversation session with Jack Kelly and Ken Reeds. Scovey in conversation with Jack Kelly and Ken Reid on public speaking with a vision impairment. Ken, if I remember correctly, you said you didn't like reading from Braille when delivering a speech because it wasn't it didn't allow for a natural flow of delivering a speech. Um, absolutely. I, as I said, my Braille reading is not not top notch. It's it's going to be slow. Um, so I would personally I would never use Braille. But I've watched other blind people making speeches off Braille. And it's very rare to find somebody who can speak fluently while they're reading Braille. They they have to pause at the end of a line as they bring their hands back to the beginning, and uh, I don't know. It just it doesn't seem to go, go very smooth and very fluently and flow. They they're always starting and stopping a wee bit, and when they have to turn pages, if the you know, on a lectern, it's there's suddenly a big rustle rustle of very big pages of paper. Um, it it seems quite intrusive. Trying to do it from Braille. There are exceptions. I remember watching David Blunkett when he was a minister, standing at the dispatch box doing speeches um, in Braille, and he was brilliant. Mm. But he is exceptional. Um, mm. So I, I, although I do read Braille, I wouldn't try and do it for speeches. But I wouldn't encourage anybody who. Uh, I, mean, I would. I would encourage most people to think about other other options because it does really sound pretty difficult. And and in a way, it's the same as somebody who's got low vision trying to read large print as notes for, for public speaking. Large print doesn't work terribly well either when you've got to hold it very close to your face and you've not got very much on each page. That tends to, to disturb the flow. So I've developed other techniques. Do you find that because you have a visual impairment, people are less likely to book you to do public speaking, to deliver speeches, because they might assume that you don't want to or that you, you're not comfortable doing it? I feel definitely it, it, 
I'm not to be rude, Ken. No offense, but I'm younger than Ken, so I'm, <laughs> I'm at an earlier stage in my my my, my progression of RP. Um, I definitely noticed that fewer things come my way. The more that vis- the more obviously disabled I become to other people. Um, I now have a guide dog. I've needed to use a cane for the past ten years. Um, I frequently fall over chairs in rooms and and. For me, that's just normal. For other folk, that's kind of like, oh my God, she's fallen over a stool. And I'm just like, folks, calm down. This is like my daily life. It's fine. Um, and I definitely noticed that I get fewer requests to do stuff. Um, but I also notice on the flip side, I guess, that I get better feedback when I do stuff. And then folks see that my visual impairment isn't actually really a massive impediment to me speaking mm. to a room or doing a training session, I might need to sometimes bring a personal assistant if I'm doing training, um, to somebody flip the flip chart or whatever. Um, but I get better feedback. In a way, that's a bit annoying because I'd rather get the honest feedback, not the, well done for a disabled person, did you really <laughs> But on the other, on the other flip side of that, I guess it's nice to show that just because you've got a visual impairment doesn't mean you can't stand up and talk nonsense for half an hour. In March, it was game set and match as we took a trip to the Fourth Valley Sensory Centre to check out their tennis classes for people with vision impairments. This is the sound that most people would associate with a game of tennis. What if sound is the only thing you have to go on? At the Fourth Valley Sensory Centre, tennis sounds are a bit more dynamic. It sounds a little bit more like this. Gordon? Yeah. That's because short tennis played here is specifically designed for those with vision impairments. The ball has a bell so it can be tracked by the ear. Rallies begin with the players identifying themselves audibly to allow for others to know where they are. Hannah Pickford is the tennis coach at the centre who runs the classes. I'm Hannah Pickford, I'm a full-time tennis coach. I work within Stirling Council area. I set up a tennis class here, having volunteered here for about a year before. Um, I just was really keen on, you know, developing this, this centre and seeing who would actually want to come along and play. And what specific training is involved in um, being able to train people with vision impairments to play tennis? Um, I did a disability inclusion course which included deaf, learning disability, um, visually impaired. I also do quite a lot of learning disability stuff through in the Stirling area as well. Cool. Um, and you're going to help us today, hopefully, uh, get a little bit of an idea of what it's all about. Yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> It'll be interesting. <laughs> Great, thank you. And so we donned the sim specs, spectacles that replicate different visual impairments, and myself, centre manager Jackie Winning and Scovie's Maggie Chapman had a go, without great results. With Jackie wearing the glasses that replicate retinitis pigmentosa, dark black glasses with a small pinprick offering a very limited field of vision, and Maggie completely blindfolded, it became quickly apparent just how much skill was required to train yourself to track the ball with your ears and not your eyes. Okay, mm-hmm. right over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jackie, do you Jackie, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jackie's first shot hit Maggie square on the foot, with Maggie completely unaware that it was there until the ball hit. In April, we took a trip to the Guide Dog Training Centre in Forfar. We're here in Forfar at the Guide Dog Training Centre today. And we're here to find out a little bit more about what they do here, meet some of their dogs and some of their trainers. Puppy. Good boy. Good lad, That is puppy block right. in there, so we do have two puppies in at the moment. I don't think it's... Dogs learn better in environments which provide opportunities for mental and physical stimulation, relaxation and social interaction. The Guide Dogs facilities at Forfer put this into practice, and as well as input from Guide Dogs' own staff, the design of the training centre incorporates the best from dog training centres all over the world. Guide dogs have been trained in Forfar for over 50 years and for over 10 years at the newer site at Dean Way. The six-acre site is geared towards well-being and development of the young dogs that arrive for their initial training before they go on to mobility teams around the UK for their more advanced training. It's a bit like doggy primary school. It features state-of-the-art dog care and welfare facilities, indoor and outdoor training areas, all designed to increase the number of happy, high-quality working guide dogs that can be provided for visually impaired clients. We were lucky enough to get a tour of the facility. Hi, my name's uh, Dave Stewart and I'm a guide dog trainer here at the Forfa Guide Dog Training Centre. Hi there, my name's Linda Brill and I'm one of the guide dog trainers here at the Forfa Training Centre. And who's this? This is Esme. She's a German Shepherd Cross Golden Retriever and she's just over two years old. Dave and Linda walked us through part of the training process. So this is Linda harnessing up Esme just to go through the obstacle course here in the indoor arena at the Guide Dog Centre. So she's nice and relaxed, she stands to get her harness okay. on and Linda will give her a forward. So Esme has a good idea of what she's doing. Linda's just encouraging her just to go straight on. She's just stopped at the bottom of the obstacle course. Linda will give her a little treat before she sets off and she'll give her a forward. So Esme has to guide Linda through the obstacles. Any hazard that's on the pavement the dog has to avoid, either stopping, slowing down or moving around to avoid the handler making contact with the obstacle. She's slowing down now through a little gap. Again, a narrow gap. She's stopped to show caution and Linda gives her a little treat. Linda's now going to locate our fake cafe. So she's going to find the chair. She puts her head on the chair. She gets a treat. So it's important that when the dogs go to these social situations like cafes, shops, restaurants, that the dogs are well behaved, that they are not a nuisance. They're not scavenging food off the floor not distracted by people and nice and relaxed so you can have your cup of coffee or tea. In June, we joined Julian Jackson on the Big Blind Walk. Okay, so we, we're just passing somebody if you're gonna just slightly come behind me and then widen out again. We are on the West Highland Way and we've caught up with Julian Jackson who is on his way from Land's End to John O'Groats on the Big Blind Walk. Do you know how many days in this is? Well, I started on the 29th of April, Friday. seems like many, many weeks ago and uh, I'm now in my sixth week. So I think I'm, I think I'm on the 35th day. And you're doing an incredible pace. You have covered hundreds and hundreds of miles. Yes, it's around about 750 so far. And uh, we've still got a few hundred to go, but um, I am hoping to get to John O'Groats on the 22nd of June. And tell us a little bit about why you're doing this walk. Well, the walk came around simply because I was so frustrated with 
the fact that when I went blind in 2010, uh, I knew nothing about eye research. And there are many, many scientists that are working upstream of eye clinics and hospitals that are working on a daily basis to prevent sight loss and treat eye disease and restore sight. And I knew nothing about them. And I thought then, and I still feel now, that as a blind person, if I knew nothing about that world of discovery and innovation, the real science behind sight, then nobody else does. And I feel very strongly that this is a world that needs to be introduced to everybody else. And we need to talk about it a great deal and promote eye research and encourage people to engage with it to appreciate the amazing work that scientists are doing in creating a more sustainable solution to sight loss. In July, we took a trip to St Andrews for the Fife Society for the Blind Technology Days. We are in St Andrews on a bright and sunny morning to check out the Fife Society for the Blind's Technology Day. Fife Society for the Blind have been hosting a series of technology days across Fife, which are open to everyone and provide an opportunity to find out more about the latest technology available to help those with sight loss and hearing loss stay independent at home and on the move. It's clear from the hustle and bustle around the room that it certainly is a good opportunity to network with other organisations and engage with service users. One stall that caught my eye, primarily because they had fancy virtual reality headsets, was the team from Aberte University, who've been working with Fife Society for the Blind to develop mobile apps that could either help the development of peripheral vision or simply help people get used to using a tablet device. And after Maggie and I had some fun playing with all their apps and trying out the headsets, Dr Kenneth Scott-Brown told us a little bit more about their work. What we've been doing at Aberté is trying to make tablet computers or computers generally more accessible for, for everyone, but in particular for older users and people with low vision who are generally more likely to be excluded from computer technology generally. Um, one of the things we realized is that tablet computers like iPads and Android tablets are actually the most accessible way for people to use computers, but there's still huge barriers to people actually using them. People think, oh, it's not for me, I don't use computers, and maybe people aren't online, they may not have broadband. Quite a lot of people in Scotland don't have access to broadband. Uh, so even when you've got a tablet computer, it's not immediately obvious how to use it, or maybe the icons are too small or too difficult to use, and just maybe you could just get on with life without using it. So what we decided to do was team up with Five Society for the Blind and come up with some innovative uses for touchscreen technologies for tablet technologies and initially we were motivated by macular degeneration this idea that your central vision uh, can be degraded but there's still peripheral vision and there is some literature in the computer games literature that gamers have better peripheral vision so they see things better in the periphery which when you think about what we might call a first person shooter a video game where you run around and uh, explore environments there's a lot of stuff going on in the periphery so some evidence that perhaps regular use of a computer might at least preserve or, or keep your peripheral vision going so that was what we tried to set out to do but we needed to get the Five Society for the Blind to help us design that so we went through what we call um, a process of participatory co-design, which, or you might call it a game jam. We just came up with some ideas for 
things you could do on the tablet that would be fun and engaging. And it turns out first-person shooters are not really the right demographic. They're not what what hits the spot. But we came up with other concepts like gardening and playing cards that really resonate, that people actually want to do. And we designed some prototype games on that um, on that basis, some of which are almost like little mini games that help you just learn what the right way to touch an iPad is. So you don't use your fingernail, you use the pad of your finger. You know, what's a double tap? What's a single tap? What's a swipe? And other ones more about gameplay. So what we've ended up with is this suite of games which we call Tapology designed with students, with end users, with professionals from the Five Society of the Blind to kind of give people a start just to be an icebreaker. So it turns out we're finding, we're still at this very early stage of, of testing it, um, that it, it's an icebreaker. It gets you started using a, a tablet technology. But what we want to do is to use that to help people help us co-design better, more useful interactions with computers. So that could be reading, it could be social media, it might just be FaceTime or Skype or keeping people in touch with video. All of that is easily doable on a tablet. We're also interested in stretching the envelope of what technology can do and look at what is possible, particularly with things like virtual reality. You wouldn't immediately think of that as being useful for low vision, but actually it might be because you can sit in your armchair and explore anywhere. It could be a real copy of the virtual world or somewhere completely different. So overall, it's about getting people together to help the university, help games designers, technology developers come up with new useful concepts. September saw a jam-packed edition of the Scoby podcast. First, we were back over the water in Fife as Fife Society for the Blind rebranded as Seascape. We have just arrived in a quite sunny Kirkcaldy on a Monday morning at the Fife Society for the Blind Centre, but it will not be known as that in an hour's time, will it, Maggie? Have you been able to find out anything about this name change? No, I haven't. Carl, the chief exec, has been keeping things very, very quiet, but I'm sure, I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be good. Well, there are many, many people swarming into the building now, and there's a great turnout, and we're going to venture in ourselves. I can see a table with some juice and refreshments. Let's head over there. Yes, let's do that. It is an absolutely fantastic turnout and I might have just landed Maggie in it a little bit because I mentioned to Carl that she happens to have her fiddle in the car so Maggie is now welcoming all of the guests to the centre with some lovely traditional tunes. Standing in front of a large curtain hiding the new branding in a rather teasing way, chairperson Jackie Lowe introduces Fife's Lord Provost Jim Leishman who will unveil the brand new look. So why are we here today? Why are we all gathered here? Well, after 150 years under the name of Fife Society for the Blind, we're going to go forward, hopefully for another 150 years, although I think I'm definitely not going to be here to see that. Um, And we're going to go with a new name. There is a lot to a name. And did you know that Google was originally called Backrub? Or that Yahoo was called Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web. And that even Pepsi Cola started out as Brad's drink. Sometimes a name can hold you back and sometimes it can catapult you forward because it captures the imagination and more accurately sums you up as an organisation. So that's why we felt it was time for a change. 
So today, Fife Society for the Blind becomes Seascape, a more contemporary name for a reinvigorated organisation that's ambitious for its clients and the services we provide. We're about seeing the landscape of needs of people with a sight impairment. We're about providing a sense of freedom through independence and empowerment and expanding horizons for those living with sight loss. It's optimistic and it's energetic, like us. <coughs> you too. And I do hope you agree. And I'd now like to invite Jim Leishman to reveal the new name and say a few words. I'll say a few words. Thanks very much, Jackie. And it's uh, a pleasure being here. It's a great pleasure. You know, my friend, uh, former Prime Minister Gordon Brown, I didn't know Gordon was coming today, but it's so nice to see him. Because you always get five minutes outside talking about Ray Tovers. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and now I've just found out that uh, Jack is a chairperson of Patrick Pistol as well. We played him a week on Friday, and I'm, I'm just assured that she's not going to get a very nice welcome. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations, Jackie and, and Carol, Chief uh, Executive, and, and to all your staff. It's really been interesting, just even ten minutes before and talking to some people that are involved with the, the visually impaired yeah. it gives me great pleasure today to unveil and show you now the, the new name Seascape, absolutely great C-E-E -E. and uh, I think that's great and you'll really be impressed uh, with the, the so. <laughs> so we'll do this Jackie? Yes, go right. for it Hopefully you're ready And let's hope it's We took to the seas with the 4th Valley Century Centre, visiting the Blind Match Racing World Championships. Match racing is regarded as the pinnacle of competitive sailing, and for the first time ever, the Blind Match Racing World Championships are being hosted in the UK, on the incredibly scenic west coast of Scotland at the Royal Northern and Clyde Yacht Club in Rue, near Helensborough. I've joined the gang from the 4th Valley Century Centre to hit the water and find out what it's all about. Well, we've just arrived and there's a small issue you wouldn't usually complain about in Scotland. It's not very windy. So while we wait on the wind to pick up, we're going to head out on a couple of boats to sail out into the harbour where the racecourse is. Life jacket's on and we're off to sea. It wasn't too long before 4th Valley Century Centre's chef, David Black, took the helm. David lost all of his sight to retinitis pigmentosa, but he wasn't too reluctant to have a go. little knot here, that, that means the wheel is at the top and you're heading straight. So when you, if you move it to the left, obviously oh, that knot okay, moves. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're just heading straight at the moment. Not right. a bad idea, we pile on this. No, no. <laughs> With the wind now strong enough for the racing to begin, we move closer to the racecourse and try to make sense of all of the different sounds we can hear coming from the acoustic boys. Thankfully, our skippers are on hand to answer all of our questions and tell us more about the noises we're hearing. I think that's on board either the umpire or one of the boats. 
the, the noises are on the start mark, so there's a different sound on each side, and so um, the sailors can tell whether it's on their left or their right. Uh, and once they pass the start, start mark, they switch those off. The racing would continue for the rest of the afternoon, but it was time for us to head back to dry land, where we caught up with David Whittam, the Commodore of the Royal Northern and Clyde Yacht Club. David, thank you very much for your time today and for accommodating all of us here today to have a fantastic day out on the water watching the Blind Match Racing World Championships. Now, there are a lot of technicalities to what we've been watching today that we're just looking for you to clear up for us. So... How exactly does this race happen? How does it work with all of the, the noises coming from the beacons and the markers? OK, well, for somebody who's sighted, it seems to me very confusing. But those that sail the boats, um, they learn about the noises. So each, at the, at the beginning of the race, there are two marker boys. They make two different sounds. At the beginning of the race, the two boats that are racing against each other have to go through that line between the two marker boys and then they make their way up into wind to another marker boy which makes a different noise now the difficulty going up into wind is that you have to zigzag you have to tack backwards and forwards to make your way to get there and then when you do get to that marker boy you have to go round it in a particular direction once you've done that they, the uh, the committee boat turns off the noise that the windward mark has been making and turns on one of the beacons back down at the start line. Down to there, round and about that one, back up to the windward mark, back down to finish and hopefully win the race. And using sound primarily to, to navigate the course? Absolutely, yes. Sound is absolutely uh, essential and uh, because the helm on each boat is blind mm -hmm. and the other two crew members on the boat are partially sighted to some extent. So uh, they have to use sound to navigate by, and they also have to have a sound on their boat and on the other boat to tell them where the other boat is and which direction it's sailing, because the rules of the road or on the sea uh, mean that if a boat is pointing in a particular direction, then they have to either hold the course or give way. And we had a chat with Karine Saeed at the cross-party group on visual impairment. Karen, thank you very much for joining us on the SCOVI podcast. Um, you spoke very passionately today at the CPG about your experiences. Um, you, when talking about access to employment, you said that you are a wasted bit of talent, that you want to work. Do you think that this opinion that you have, that you, you know, that is lost on the general public, that they make assumptions about what you're capable of purely on the basis that you have a, a vision impairment? Definitely, I think so. I mean, I think one of the, the issues that happens is that people are terrified to ask what you can and what you can't do. So it's kind of like they, they don't know how to tackle that and they don't realise that actually there's a lot of stuff that we can do. I mean, as I say, I'm kind of multi-skilled. So I'm a, a disability consultant, I'm a trainer and I'm a performer. And there's, like, so there's lots of different things I could tap into and there's lots of different organisations I could work with. Um, but I think the biggest thing that happens is people see you when they walk through the door, either the cane, the dog, or they actually see that you're not actually absolutely looking at them straight away. And that, that is the immediacy what terrifies them before you even get to the, I can do a job, I can do this, I can do that. It's the, 
how on earth do I tackle and communicate? And actually people forget that 80% sometimes, you know, although we have uh, visual recognition of looking into people's eyes and stuff, actually a lot of it is also finding out about people. And we've kind of lost that talent somehow. And we've stopped talking and we've started to kind of think, oh, instant look and that's it. And mm. I think people forget to look at the depth of what people have in, in terms of experience. Mm-hmm. And what do you think society needs to know to try and change those perceptions of vision impaired, visually impaired people? I think the first is stop being terrified. <laughs> yeah. It's really simple. Um, I think the second thing that people need to do is actually compare what they require with what the talent is and listen and actually compare the job with what they actually need. And people use all this kind of complex language that they want people to be multi-skilled and good communication skills and good written and then they think written and verbal means like handwriting in their heads but actually no it's computer skills verbal well and vision impaired people we can talk a lot um in terms of uh, our knowledge our actual psychological awareness of how people interact and communicate with each other and that uh, knowing that we can retain information quite well we get, there's a lot of stuff and not just like the simple stuff because actually we we can do a lot of things and, and, that, and then there's all that sort of hands-on technical stuff that quite a lot of people can do as well and and people kind of lose all of that and they so I think first of all stop being scared secondly actually look at what the job needs and then look at what the person is and don't actually go for the obvious candidates people always look for people that they're comfortable with actually get out of your comfort zone and start moving into people that aren't in that comfort zone but could probably bring a lot more interesting talent into your organization variety is the spice of life I think Absolutely, Corinne, thank you very much for joining us on the SCOBY podcasts. October brought the season of birthday parties as two SCOBY members celebrated big anniversaries. Royal Blind broke parliamentary records with the best ever attended parliamentary reception to celebrate their 225th anniversary. RNIB invited us along to the city chambers in Edinburgh for their 150th anniversary. I am at the Edinburgh City Chambers and I'm joined not by Maggie tonight because she's under the weather and unable to join me, but Jackie Winning has stepped in. Jackie from Forth Valley Century Centre. Good evening, Jackie. Good evening and I apologise for being such a poor substitute for Maggie. Sorry. (laughs) No poor substitute at all. So we're about to head into the RNIB's 150th birthday celebrations. Now, I don't really know much about what's happening tonight other than the fact that we have to turn up at 5.30. It's all been a bit... Uh, cloak and daggers do you know much Jackie about what we're expected to go into here tonight well what I know is there's lots of wine and canopies and I am so looking forward to going and hearing all the inspirational stories from people excellent well let's head on in and check it out let's go Well, it's a packed hall and a really beautiful room. There is indeed canopies and wine. There's a tech stall. There's a stall with RNIB's book, Feeling Our History, which is part of a much wider project that we'll send out links to in our newsletter. And we're going to be hearing a short video soon, which is 150 years in 150 seconds, which is also available on RNIB Scotland's YouTube and website. There are going to be numerous speakers telling us their own stories in 150 words. And as you can hear in the background, there's some excellent singing from Brian McGlashan. But rather than me trying to tell you all about this evening, I'm going to take the microphone round the room and find out what other people have to say. Hello, 
Michelle, uh, our listeners would have had the chance to see your talk in the Scottish Parliament last month because that featured on last month's Scooby podcast. Who we are today at the, the RNIV 150th celebrations, and what has been your highlight from this evening so far? For me, hearing the people speak and how so many of the speakers in 150 words encapsulating my feelings about blindness, about life, and about how the RNIB has helped them as individuals. For me, and this is perhaps a slightly controversial thing to say, but the RNIB did not feature much in my early life because I went to specialised education and then I went into you know, education with support. But when I left school and went into employment, I began to volunteer with Haggai and loved it. I was involved with the RNIB speakers course this summer and loved it. And just seeing how the RNIB is going to move forward fills me with hope and enthusiasm for how blind and partially sighted people are, are going to be helped and assisted and just generally viewed. I'm, I'm really excited. It was great to, be part, great to be invited and great to be part of tonight's event. And if I can put you on the spot, if we were to look over the next 150 years and you can imagine one major change that would transform the lives of visually impaired people in Scotland, what would it be? For me, education of the sighted public. I feel that the glass ceiling is incredibly low. People have incredibly low expectations of blind and partially sighted people and what I would like is for the general public, whether that's train assistant staff, whether it's hiring managers, anybody on, on the streets or in bars, pubs, clubs, restaurants, anywhere, I would like people to view a person and not immediately see sight loss, not immediately make an assumption. So greater education for me is key moving forward into the next 150 years. Education, 100%. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us on the Scoby Podcast. Matthew, thank you very much for joining us on the Scoby Podcast. And what's your takeaway from the evening then? It was really exciting to get to share my experiences from Haggai and how Haggai has helped me develop as a person, secure my internship earlier this year at the Scottish Parliament, which was part of the Inclusion Scotland We Can Work programme. But uh, what I'm equally excited about is today for me, RNIB's new brand that was released in part for the 150th anniversary, it clicks, it makes sense. See the person, not the sight loss, all the confidence, all the stories, the wanting to share our journeys and experiences that have come out of this evening. We can all take that away and that makes me really excited for the role RNIB and everyone who's part of it can play in future. And that uh, rebranding has gone hand in hand with a video campaign highlighting that, hasn't it? That's got a whole load of videos that are saying, look, see the person and not the sight loss. And for for you, has that really been something that's quite important then to come from this rebranding, that campaign itself? It is really important, but I didn't see it at first. I saw a lot of marketing stuff, but the stories from this evening are that brand, see the person, not the sight loss, all our 150 word stories, everything RNIB does that we do, that everyone in this room here does and will do even greater. And we've just been joined by some other speakers <laughs> from this evening. <laughs> yes, Catherine gave an excellent one. So we heard, Campbell, tell us about the 150 words talks that we heard from everybody. Well, well this evening we've heard some really inspiring people share in 150 words, some of their experiences of 
um, living full lives, um, but also their interface with RNIB um, and their time um, and their sight loss journey as well. So really inspiring, a range of ages, a range of people from different backgrounds, different walks of lives. Um, and I think it really added that kind of um, human touch to tonight and how we should be seeing the person and then seeing the sight loss in that sense. And Catherine, it is, isn't it? You were also given a 150 words talk earlier on. So give us a quick rundown of what you were saying to the crowd earlier today. So I was talking about how um, I was diagnosed when I was uh, quite young, when I was five, and I didn't find the RNIB for at least another 10 years after that. Um, so um, I've been involved with them for the last 10 years or so. Um, and I was talking about how um, Haggai and the new, uh, in the last couple of years, RNIB Connect, has allowed me to not just support myself and like get support for myself, but to like give back, um, not just to the sight loss community, but to wider society to raise awareness and to, to make things better for everybody, more accessible for everybody. Excellent, and have you enjoyed the evening? Have you been able to partake in some of the, the cake and canapes going around? I was told I had to stop eating my cake so they could take a photo of me, <laughs> and I was outraged. That's pretty and my, unfair. my sister had to check I didn't have any on my face. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, it's been lovely, and the room is lovely too. The city chambers are gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous building. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us on the Scoby Podcasts. Thank you. It has been quite the year and we would like to say a huge thank you to all of our members and from me to all the people that have happily let me pop a microphone in front of them over the last 12 months for the Scovey podcast. And finally, if you are hitting the sales in January and you happen to be shopping on Amazon or online, you can help raise money for Scovey. If you're on Amazon, head over to smile.amazon.co.uk instead of amazon.co.uk. Choose the Scottish Council on Visual Impairment as your nominated charity and then you can shop as normal and we receive a small donation for each purchase that you make. You can also register with Easy Fundraising at easyfundraising.org which is teamed up with hundreds of high street names and if you select Scovey as your nominated charity we will again receive a small donation from each purchase that you make. As always, please do let us know if you have any news or events that you would like us to share in the Scovey newsletter and podcast. You can send that to carolyn.scott at scovey.org.uk. That's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N dot S-E-O-T-T at S-E-O-V-I dot org dot uk. For now, though, that's all that we have time for on this edition of the Scovey Podcast. And indeed, for 2018, do have a wonderful New Year's. Thank you very much for listening. Share this and sign up to our mailing list at scovey.org.uk. And until 2019, from me, Carolyn Scott, goodbye. <laughs>